0: Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's going to turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. Uh, well, hey, man, thank you, thank you for being willing to sit down and chat with me.
1: And thanks for the invite. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I, I don't know much about you. I yeah, just I was gonna say, you know, saw to say. your okay. your quick description that you've you said you were in a situation similar to that of Jordan, so that sounded interesting.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's overselling myself a little bit, but I at least really uh, appreciated and have identified with a lot with his his journey yeah. here, kind of trying to understand Christianity and and makes. I mean, like. I mean I've read all I think I've read all of his current books. I haven't finished his new one yet, but mm-hmm. I mean, knowing a bit of his backstory just knowing that like he kind of grew up in somewhat Christian circles and like kind of had some yep. exposure to that and then like as he starts you know thinking about the world and trying to develop his own worldview, I, I really relate to that process of just like, okay, I can't actually make sense of the way I was handed spirituality when I was a kid not with my you know worldview or lack thereof. Now,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but yeah, um, the-
1: yeah, that's a common arc, I guess. Nowadays, like Jordan has lived it in a very, let's say, condensed or intense kind of way. But yeah, yeah I don't know. It maybe half
0: of the people now
1: have like some <laughs> degree of experience exactly. in that story.
0: It's it seems to be pretty a yeah, pretty pretty universal story of almost yeah every. Every young person who's who's interested in 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 thinking, I guess, either <laughs> has has just left the church altogether, or has found us Jordan Peterson. <laughs> and yeah, that, it's like he's it, been just sort of a touchstone of like, oh, well, at least I can. This this is something, I guess this this makes me at least think about it again. I'm still not quite sure what to do with it, but it makes me think it's important again.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there are people who have gone back in other ways but it's always a similar kind of move Of like, it's always some reenchantment kind of move you reach yeah, sort of the end of modern thinking somehow like you keep decomposing things down into their constituent parts and at some point you just can't keep producing anymore and then you flip back to something <laughs> else and different people have been doing that for a while but right. like, it hasn't been catching on as much as it does now I guess yeah, like, I, I I don't
0: think it's necessarily a totally new story arc that people have just suddenly you know they've got to the end of modernism modernism and then realized oh I I need some sense of spiritualism to make sense of the world, like that that seems I with kind of my brother and a couple of friends we were doing a little book club and we were reading even Don Quixote, which mm-hmm. that was like the 1700s and it's like there's the same it seems like the same conversation is happening there where it's like they've kind of there's a frustration with with the Hypernaturalism or hyper realist perspective on reality it's like it doesn't mean anything once once you've removed all the meaning mm-hmm. and so yeah. ha, what are you going to do with that and, and then that's where you get this don quixote character where he's just like he's the guy who's who's gone crazy because of of essentially because of lack of meaning and then he becomes he starts like hyper hyper focusing on meanings and patterns and, and painting everything as if it's way more meaningful than it is and it becomes this very—it's a very silly story, but it's like—but reading that narrative is like, okay, yeah, this is this is a conversation that's been happening, you know, it's probably been happening since thousands of years ago. But like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. an arc that keeps repeating, and it's it, there's a sense of which you don't feel quite so alone when you read something like that, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it, the story just gets more intense or more shared across time. It seems like it was—it it wasn't as widespread. I think if you go back to like, two hundred. Three hundred years ago, but yeah, now as you said earlier, it seems like every young person or just about as this story inside them.
0: So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm interested to hear a little bit of more of like because I've I've read some of your stuff. Mm-hmm. I watched. I actually spent kind of the weekend listening through your conversation you had with John Rovecki and mm-hmm. and Paul Vanderklay. That was really mm-hmm. really good. And I wanted to even maybe <laughs> spend some of the time time today, kind of following that up and seeing. If you had developed some more thoughts after that conversation, because that was mm-hmm. that was good. But I mean, how did sure. how did you get to the place where you're at now with with faith and with philosophy? I mean, I, I know you graduated. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what school, but you graduated. You have a degree in philosophy now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell the whole story fairly quickly. You know, it's the the kind of arc that you mentioned earlier, and can just fill in some details. So, I was raised Catholic, and Quebec is a very Catholic okay. province uh fell away from it during my teenage years because didn't seem to have the same kind of let's say rigor as what I saw in school and i uh, I was interested and I was doing well in uh, the harder sciences so that's what I went towards I was especially interested by mathematical logic and like studying the the structures of of logic and I was really I was skeptical that you could, go very far with this kind of stuff but at least it seemed very solid so I wanted to okay like it's not clear what good and evil are in this modern world like we we, we're good at knowing material stuff but we're not really good at knowing what to do with it so I thought I should at least like spend some time to think about it before I like embark on a career or try to do something like I should think about like what's good and like if there is such a thing then like how can I do it so I wasn't very convinced by the kind of philosophy that I, I I saw at the time, but what I was learning in mathematics seemed so solid that I thought, okay, I'm going to do math. I'm going to do mathematical logic. So I studied mathematics and computer science in my undergrad uh, there, actually at McGill. Uh, so like, okay. the, the place you used to drive to, and yeah, I used to do the drive back and forth between Quebec and Montreal uh, as well, fairly often for a while there. Uh, but yeah, I, toward, during those studies. Um, my, my hope to, let's say, approach questions of morality from within mathematics were just completely undercut by Gödel's incompleteness theorems. Uh, you've probably heard about it. Uh, I don't remember the, the details and like all, how the proof goes like in all of its details, but basically it shows that like as solid as mathematics seems, you still cannot show from within mathematics that your mathematical system Is complete and consistent. Like any any formal system you create will not be able to show its own consistency and completeness. Like you, basically the 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 output of that is that you won't get that far with just mathematical logic or like any kind of logical system in in general. So so I thought is is
0: the argument. It's based on. Like as I mean, it, it seems obvious to me that whenever you use a mathematical or some closed system per, to represent reality or some other larger open system, that mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're going to reach an end to which that closed system <laughs> represent it. But it, it, is the argument that even within the closed system, it can't represent itself? Yeah,
1: okay. kind of. <laughs> but I mean, the, it, but it came as a as a huge shock at the time in mathematics because you have to remember like the the social climate at the time where like logical positivism was. Like, real well in its way it, the, the sciences were making tons of progress and like so was uh mathematics so like there was a lot of momentum where people were expecting to, to solve all of the world's problems with science and mathematics but then a few cr- small crises occurred like some people realized that some of their mathematical systems like add inconsistencies in them so they were completely worthless because like you try to make proofs in mathematics to show that okay something right. is absolutely certain and like some people had been using certain systems for decades and then someone would show oh look i can show that uh, one equals right. minus one and your system is incorrect. so like you you would like people would, would would flip out and people would realize that oh well actually if you take out one of euclid's axioms uh, like that people have been taking for granted for like 2,000 years, if you take that out, actually you can still get some pretty interesting things. So like things were starting to get tipsy-turvy uh, for logical positivism. And then people had the great idea to show from within mathematics that mathematics is complete and consistent. And I don't know how in how much detail it's worth going, but yeah, I think we, we can talk about more interesting stuff. So I'm not going to go into the complete <laughs> detail, but basically like David Albert, uh, some people had like, Really nice insights about how to talk about mathematics within mathematics, because mathematics is about manipulating symbols. So, you if you talk about mathematics using symbols, well, you can manipulate them using <laughs> right. the symbols. So, like you, you get this self recursive thing, and like it seemed really promising. And like across the board, mathematicians were super optimistic that they could finally like get to something like rock solid, and they wouldn't like face the tipsy turvy stuff that they've been facing for the last decades. But Gerudo, in trying to show that precisely what, what Albert was hoping for. In, yeah. in hoping to show that he, he had found the foundation for mathematics, he actually showed that it was impossible to find a foundation for mathematics. So it just completely destroyed every, uh, like, all, all of their So hopes, your
0: trajectory but, kind of followed, like, yeah, you, you followed mathematics to its end, or at least watched, read yeah. the historical story of mathematics finding its own end, and and, and that was what yeah. kind of, what, it was introduced you to the say. idea of God, or what?
1: <laughs> but it was, I'd say that it was, let's say, the last straw towards like this hope of understanding the world like reductionistically, or trying to reduce things down. Uh, I mean, right. I, I, I see mathematics in a completely different way now. Like, I'm more of a Platonist in mathematics, but like, after like reaching the end of reductionistic thinking, I thought, well, I mean, I'm not going to answer my questions from within mathematics. I should. Now spend some time to think about philosophy. And so that's I went and did a master's uh, in philosophy. And I was I was I was more pessimistic <laughs> than when I had entered <laughs> mathematics. So I thought, I if I'm not even gonna get there with mathematics, like what, what are the hopes for, for philosophy anyway? <laughs> but like actually it turned out much better than I had expected. Uh, there are some modern philosophers who go in to all kinds of weird directions but if you I, I, but i think it's quite possible to start with a solid problem and try to find philosophers sort of around that problem who have given like good answers and then like if there's still some hiccups you look at the philosophers around them who have some good answers to those problems and then i sort of worked my way through this web and throughout all that i kept just discovering christian philosophers and especially catholic philosophers who had good answers to all of my questions so like over time i took it more and more seriously i had i, I learned about jordan Peterson around that time through jordan about jonathan and i had uh yeah I had the chance to have several conversations with with jonathan we've been speaking for a few years now i would say especially since we live in the same province right. uh we Throughout all of those things, like I got back involved in my church because I saw that it was. I, I could have some inklings that it was true, and then like once I had like ways in which I could see how it was true, then like I could actually go and practice. Like I, like I was nowhere right. near the point of like understanding even I don't know like ninety five percent of it. Like I had a very <laughs> low understanding of what was going on, but I had enough for it to. Be interesting, like for for it to be on a path for me. So I just embarked on that path. And like, I was, I mean, I'm going to try it for a while. I I don't have to stay forever, but like keeping on that track. And it just kept deepening and deepening. And I Mm. understood more and more. I met great people, uh, made great friends, learned uh, a great amount. Actually, I I ended up going to a church where there are tons of philosophers. (laughs) So I I I had tons (laughs) of people to talk with. I, at some point, like a rare find. I mean, it's rare, I, I think you have to find the right parishes, yeah. but at mine at some point, like the, the craziest thing was I went one summer to do uh, a sort of a it was sort of a weekly meeting, mm-hmm. uh, a club where we would watch a video and then discuss it. And like it just happened that we were four philosophy students out of like 10 people there and i didn't even know the other 3 like i had seen their faces at right. the department but we're not in the same year so i didn't know them but it just turned out that like we were 4 out of 10 in philosophy. so it uh well,
0: yeah I mean, just if, if that doesn't expression. make you convinced of providence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so i i mean i definitely really can relate to that especially you you're describing like initially entering back into trying to practice some form of christianity. I feel like that's yeah. almost exactly where i am where it's like i there's something that seems very meaningful about Christianity, mm-hmm. but I just really have n- no idea what I mean when I say I believe in God, or or what I mean when I say I'm a Christian, because I I don't like I, I mean I I can say I I'm a Christian in the sense that like I want to be part of that religion and and act out mm-hmm. those those patterns and and do the things that Christians do. It's just that I like well I mean I, I guess I w- kind of want to get into some of this stuff. I I even. Yeah. To kind of follow up some of the conversations you, you were having already, and 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 I mentioned that I wanted to try to even unpack a little bit of what uh, Peterson and Peugeot were, were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It um, would
1: be useful for me, I think, to know like where you're standing from at the moment. Uh, like when, when let's say you say that you cannot say how you believe in God, like what like what's the closest? Like what's your let's say <laughs> approximation of what even God would be?
0: Well i mean I, I definitely find a lot of meaning in the idea of God being the pattern of patterns like that's interesting although there it becomes sort of patriarchal because it's like he's, he's the father of fathers, but he's not just that it's like he would be the the very top and the bottom when it comes to that patterned reality It's like he and, and he spans he spans them you know, I guess that would be the, he's the first and the last right so it's like mm-hmm. conceptually. That makes to sense to me that I need to have a concept for those things in order to grasp reality. And so mm-hmm. sometimes to me, I guess it's like I'm at least willing to, or it's like I, I'm, I'm convinced of it's absolutely necessary to, to believe mm-hmm. and to have access to a category called God. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily know to what extent uh, God is, is personal. Or I, or I think it kind of even just goes into the question about what consciousness looks like on a higher level because... It's mm-hmm. interesting, I, recently uh, my friend Andrew was, um, he, was do- he was part of a Q&A with Jonathan and was doing on Facebook and he asked that question, like, what, is, what does consciousness look like on a higher level? And Jonathan answered with, an answer I've heard him use before talking about like a city, but I mean the the mm-hmm. more interesting and more difficult answer to that question that I really want to know kind of goes into, and, and I think I, I read a little bit that you were focused on panpsychism, and I'm not sure what form of that you've, you've kind of done some study on, but I think that Leads us into some of the questions we need to. And and fortunately, though, here, I, I want to make sure we don't get too off in the clouds. I have my brother yep. here listening too. <laughs> and he, I'm not a philosopher. I like philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I might, I guess I'm just, I, I, I want this conversation to be accessible to yeah. everybody, whether they're totally interested or they've done, you know, some of the reading that you have mm-hmm. or I have. Or not. So, if anything doesn't make sense, he's he's going to keep us grounded <laughs> here and say and stop us. <laughs> well, you already uh, dropped the term panpsychism, and I don't know what that means. Yeah, I was I was just yeah. about to go over that, anyways. Or maybe you could even give a better a better uh, definition, because I mean, I, I watched yeah. a short video the other day on a couple different forms of it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's, categorically, the ones I wrote down: there's there's animism, there's pantheism, there's uh, panprotopsychism, pancognitivism.
1: The yeah, there, there's a bunch of like panpsychisms re-emerging in the recent decades, mainly because like of it, it's the same pattern as what we talked about earlier, like going to the end of reductionism, and at some point you realize that there's some things that we cannot reduce and they're still part of the world, so we need to make space for them somehow. And one of the big one of the big stopping points for reductionism is Consciousness. There are others, but like one of the biggest ones is consciousness, because it really does not seem plausible to reduce our consciousness to something smaller. Let's say to some material uh, atoms or or whatever. People were, were trying for a while, but more and more people in philosophy of mind and cognitive science are adopting non-reductionistic uh, accounts of consciousness. And one of the, the theories that has been coming back is panpsychism. So the idea yeah, in yeah, panpsychism is a it, it, it's really elegant the idea is okay if you garrett are a complex set of particles i could i can think about you as a complex set of particles of how many however many particles governed by like very complex probabilities probabilistic laws and like if we're listening to the physicists you can even like if you had a good enough computer you could calculate the probability distributions of what Garrett will do using that description of Garrett if you look just at that actually it's an empty description of what Garrett is. It just gives you Garrett's behavior but it never tells you what Garrett is in himself that never tells you like the reasons for that behavior
0: because by okay, design so it has to do with reasons not not just yeah, causes and that was something you guys were talking about as well is the difference between a cause and a reason.
1: Um, it's not actually exactly the same issue as what we were discussing with, uh, with John there. In John, we, we, with that discussion with, with Paul, we did not need panpsychism. It was like just <laughs> neoplatonism, basically. But we, I can try to close the loop with uh, panpsychism and then I can make my way back to uh, <laughs> <Okay>. neoplatonism. <laughs> because, like the just to keep going on the, the insight for panpsychism is, like if you look at anything that physical science describes, it always only describes how the thing behaves. It never describes its nature. You'll know, for instance, that an electron follows a certain set of laws, but you'll never know what the electron is in itself. You know that uh, even if you say well, that the electron... Okay, so I, I'm co- getting
0: lost here because yep. what do you mean when you're talking about what something is in itself other than its behavior? Because t- to me, I'm I mean, especially listening to, to Peterson's mm-hmm. idea of... Or I mean, go, going in, I guess maybe that's the um, philosophy of... Um, what would you say? Uh, oh, crap. It's Heidegger. What what's what are those guys? Yeah, that's phenomenology. Phenomenology, right? Phenomenology is like basically something is what its function is, isn't that essentially? Or or
1: it's not going to be behavior though, because in a like in phenomenology, you won't deny the fact that there is a a felt sense of let's say if if you see the function of something, if I see a pair of glasses, for instance. Like it's it's true that I see because of the function of the glasses. Like I constrain, there there are too many details in those glasses. There's there's too much stuff. Uh, there's a combinatorial explosion of aspects of, of of molecules of whatever that I could see in the glasses, and if I'll. It's actually something we have to learn, but if I see the purpose of the glasses, if I see them as something I can put on to see uh, like such a distance or to shield me from the sun or whatever, if once I, I get to grab those functions, uh, then the the chaos of the glasses like is turned into something. I will perceive like the essence of the glasses. You could say I'll perceive them as something I can see through, for instance. Like they turn from potential into a pattern, right? Right. But and th- this is a different way of seeing things from Uh Like it, it's, we're again going towards something else. So there's like Neoplatonism, which we talked about earlier. There's panpsychism, and then there's like phenomenology, which Jordan brings up. Um, so I'm not, yeah. Th- there are many branches. I uh, don't know which one you would prefer to go into.
0: Well, um Yeah. I, I, to, to me, I, I guess I'm trying to to resolve them a little bit because. Yeah. Uh, if the ph- phenomenology makes a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. but I mean, my understand. And again, I, I my brief um, kind of trek through trying to understand just the almost a definition of panpsychism was just like, okay, mm-hmm. it, it, sorry, it includes it includes animism it includes. I mean, there's various forms, mm-hmm. and obviously, it doesn't. Identifying as a panpsychist doesn't mean that you're an animist, but it's just that that's <laughs> one form of, of of panpsychism. Yeah. But uh, so I mean, like thinking about the idea of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Existing on the level of, of of a of a like a god type being mm-hmm. and of a human type being, well, I mean, this is something I wanted to go into. Is what would be the difference between the kind of consciousness that a god can have, or or that I could have, mm-hmm. or that a rock could have?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So yeah, th- that's good. It gives me a telos to mm-hmm. try and, uh, like, yeah, okay, <laughs> like. Uh, to, to try and like trim down on the possibilities of what we could go towards. So in, yeah, pensy- the basic at the end, panpsychism is like you want some kind of continuity between our consciousness up and down the chain of being. So right. for human consciousness to exist, let's say from an assemblage of of neurons, well, you need something like consciousness in those neurons, and like so on, all the way down, and even all the way up probably. Like in the way that people can like join together in groups.
0: Right. But I mean, I was talking to my wife the other day about marriage, some, and, and I mean, that's a very Christian yep. idea of, that you become one flesh, and it's like they're act, its not that yep. like when you're doing something in your marriage that you're doing something and you're part of the marriage. It's like the marriage is doing something; it's its own yep. being to some extent.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and so th- this idea that there is a continuity in consciousness up and down the chain of being has been coming back in philosophy of mind to try and answer the mind-body problem because like consciousness doesn't just come out of nowhere. Then it's it's part of the world, like up right. and down. In, in you have, you have one problem though like the question is okay, like do we have some sort of criteria for how our consciousnesses can can combine because it's not clear at first sight let's say how my human consciousness is made up of smaller consciousnesses or how let's say the consciousness of you and your wife can combine into one overarching consciousness Th- that stuff is not obvious at first sight but like there are, there are some insights which Jordan gives that can be useful I think for instance if you notice that you're made up of sub personalities, you can nice. see how they cohere into one consciousness and you can see how you're made up of smaller subconsciousnesses like right. you have all kinds of passions which like want different things and we exist on a sort of lower in time scale yeah uh you, you 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 can notice it especially in dramatic events let's say if you have a car accident you'll 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 see that you get pulled into different directions by different subpersonalities. like part of you wants to run away part of you wants to go help the other person but part, part of you wants just to freeze like and what you do is from all of those potentialities, from those subpersonalities, you will yeah. constrain them, and you'll select like just one of them. You'll from the possibilities that you have, you'll, you'll constrain it. You'll constrain yourself down to one, and it's the same kind of thing that happens in a family. So, uh, if uh, let's say you you and your wife become one person in one marriage, like you have to constrain both of your possibilities, both both of your personalities down into just one structure. There are things that you will not do, even if you're alone by yourself, there are things that you will not do because of the marriage. Like, it will have a top-down influencing. Um, and in the same way that your consciousness is on a higher time scale than the the one of your passions, of your subpersonalities, then if you think about the consciousness of your marriage, for instance, it's going to be on a higher time scale. It's going to be uh, in a... I don't know if it's like official doctrine, but... Let's say you can say that there's once you get married, there's a sacrament there. There's there's kind of an angel there. There's a higher level pattern that has been established that will govern oh, the life of yeah. you and your wife. Um So, and we have this idea of let's say I, I would I would have to check if like I could if I could find some doctrine about this on marriages. But I know that there is for sure like about parishes. Like if like if you have a certain yeah. church, uh this this church has an angel. Like there's a pattern to the church that will govern how. will behave like the different people won't behave just any which way when they come to the church Uh, and even it will not be exactly like the other churches down the road like there's one personality to this church and it exists at the higher time scale because i mean your neurons fire like 25 times a second but the church fires like once a week or something like that. So of course the like the time scale changes. So, but
0: and and so if if we we kind of accept that, that that becomes a form of consciousness, then do we also start to accept, you know, as uh, sort of softer versions of consciousness, which is like right now there's a new consciousness that just happened when you and I met and now there's this there's there's our relationship which is is like a it's almost like a weak pattern because it hasn't really established what it is yet, right? Yeah. It's a it's but it's like a very soft <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort
1: of trying to emerge. It's like people who who still people with like split personalities, like who are not very unified. But but I mean, sometimes with some people, you can feel that you really like become really close and like arguably like one person. Yeah, Uh, it's it's easier obviously in person. And if you're having a great conversation with someone, that happens. Like you sort you sort of both lose yourself in the conversation. We'll even say that like you become one thing. You're just informed by the conversation. So Evan, are you
0: tracking so far? Does this yeah, make sense? Good, but it okay. does sound a little mystical, almost. When <laughs> yeah, <just laughs> mystical. Connected okay. Connected into one when we first met, or
1: whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then if we can try going up that to try and answer your question you asked about earlier, well, like I'm what interested could,
0: more to go down first because. Oh, okay. I, I, I want to talk about the consciousness of a rock.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> most <laughs> psychists will say that the rock itself doesn't have a consciousness, but they will say that. It's constituent particles and maybe atoms do so it's a lot about the the actions or the causal powers of a thing. So if let's say I look at uh, if I look at a fundamental particle, let's say I look at an electron, an electron looks like it does things it it moves it's, it's attracted to some things it's repelled by some other things. Uh, it looks like there's some like very simple, Desire there. Like it's elementary. Like nobody, no pen psychist would ascribe any sort of complex consciousness to the electron, but, but pen psychists would generally hold that it, there has to be something, something very simple that it's like to be an electron. Uh, and I mean, th- this can sound surprising to people who hear this idea for the first time, mm. but lots of people are taking it seriously in philosophy of mind because if you don't do that, then you're going to have a huge problem at some point. Trying to answer how it is that human consciousness like relates to the well, physical world. You get the
0: world. problem of uh, borders of, of when yeah. at what point do you decide it be, decide it becomes yeah. consciousness and what point does is it not yeah. consciousness? Which I mean yeah. is yeah. kind of the the argument Christians have been struggling with for a while when it comes to abortion because I mean they were it was already like okay well we're going to decide there's a there's a time there's a time when it becomes when it becomes a human person like a, a, a being and is that right? The second that you know that a sperm penetrates an egg, is it once it's like, uh, I don't know that much of the science behind it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean this this one, uh, like it's you would. So
1: there's obviously a point where we start caring about the consciousnesses there. So we don't care about the electrons. We don't care about when the the the, the particles also combine in stuff that isn't conscious. So for instance, if you if you look at a chair. In a chair, you you could see that, okay, it's electrons, for instance, or it's particles. They're moving, they're active, they're doing things. It looks like they have some small consciousnesses and it makes sense. But when they combine into the overarching chair, it doesn't look like the chair as a whole is conscious. Like the consciousnesses do not combine. It's sort of like when we were talking about people earlier. When If, let's say, you're just in your room somewhere and I'm completely elsewhere and we're not talking, like our consciousness don't combine into anything. Like, we're just completely different. And, like, the consciousnesses of the particles in the chair would sort of be like that. They're, like, they're besides one another, but they're, they don't combine into anything.
0: Well, so and, it, to me, it seems like, okay, so as soon as that chair is, inter- is being interacted with or interacting with something, then all of its constituent parts have to sort of make a decision so then the chair has a consciousness again. It has to decide whether or not it's going to hold up the person that's going to sit on it or if it's going t- to crumble. Right. And, and that decision is made based on, you know, of, of, like the probability I think the,
1: of a- most likely the most pensychists would answer that the decision isn't made at the level of the chair as a whole. It's probably made at a very low level. For instance, in the fact that uh, if you take like two atoms of metal in the chair, the fact that they always hold like very close together, if you look at, th- at it at this level, it looks like they're doing something, like they're willing something. They're willing to stay close together, for instance. So at this level, you would say that, uh, like, there is consciousness there in the atoms that all together. But at the higher level, there's no action there, no willing. Sort of a, and it's it, it's actually important to have some kind of view of panpsychism like this because it allows you to also explain why. In our brains, we're not always conscious. Like there are we we have studies on this kind of stuff where there are regions of your brain that are more conscious than others. Like there are some patterns of activations of your neurons that are conscious and some that are not. For instance, like at the back of your mind, you have tons of neurons. Like you have actually more than in your prefrontal cortex, but it's very lowly actually like there's very little relationship between consciousness and like this back part of your of your of your brain uh whereas in the front part you have fewer fewer neurons but it's very closely related to consciousness like if you look, if you ask people let's say you you see some part of the brain is activated when you scan them and you ask them whether they're conscious or not like you do this kind of stuff and, and you see that it's more the prefrontal cortex
0: that is associated with consciousness than The back part. But that that might be just a sort of a a frontal cortex bias, though, because I'm reading I'm reading a little bit of um uh the Master and His emissary right now, or I've just started reading the first couple chapters, and he talks about how there's sort of there's there's three at least three basically conversations happening in in your brain. There's the front back conversation, top bottom conversation, and left right conversation between like, and it always comes to like the more specific, and the more general or the more potential. Right, which I mean that that pattern is something that's very talked about a lot in the kind of symbolic world community. But like, uh, uh,
1: yeah, I, it, I don't remember that part of the book. Uh I read it a while ago. I just focused on like the left and right brain right. I mean, stuff. It was just a, a
0: not, brief passing thing that he mentioned. Yeah. I think maybe even in the introduction, but that stuck with me. Yeah. It's like oh, that's interesting because I mean, you have yeah. your your subcortical activity and right.
1: Yeah, I'm I mean, gonna go back to the example because it's like this okay, st- sorry. classic stuff that's used in panpsychism. Just so I can try and close that too, because. The basic idea will be that there are certain patterns that are not activated with consciousness as much as some others, and generally, it's going to have a lot to do with like the complexity in the action that something can do. So, some neuro- some some networks combine into stuff that is not very active, like like the chair, for instance, whereas some other networks combine into things that are very active, like when you have a conversation and like people f- like become one in the conversation. So. It it can like the, the in the same way that you can explain why the chair is not conscious but a human person is like it's going to be like useful to explain some other questions uh, like how is it that a group can be conscious or or, or whatever and right. even like when you brought up abortion earlier it's going to have to do with this as well where it's not going to be like even about so much the let's say the complexity of the brain in there it's going to have to be also with like the relationships with other people like when like the story of the person exists like from conception like there's there's a whole network that has causal power and the person already exists even if that person doesn't completely man- manifest. So I mean to take to make it more concrete, um, let's say if if people lose a baby, even if like it's maybe just a week uh, in the womb or something like that, People can still be devastated because the story dies. Like people can tell that there was something there. Like it was still quite in potential, like it wasn't mm. fully manifest, but there was still something there with a lot of causal power. And we recognize it because people are like really saddened if yeah. this person dies. So it like you have to look not just let's say at the, the individual reduction to something, but also at like the whole network in the same way that different people can become one. You have to look at how like this nexus in the conception, let's say, fits within a broader network. So yeah. I, I just wanted to close all of those loops. I hope it helped. Uh, and
0: yeah, okay. Well, I, I still I'm not quite sure I'm on the same page as you as far as the chair yeah. thing because I mean, so so you were talking about like so some even some relationships between people are not as active, and so you, it's almost like the, yeah. the the consciousness is 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 less so, or it's like it's non existence or non existent. I I. I don't know about the non-existent part. It just seems like you, you can only get more or less, but you can't really get to zero because there's always a at least a very, maybe very loose, maybe very distant connection, but all things are connected through the the body of the universe, you know? So when it comes to... I guess what I think we just need to just define a little bit more clearly, and, and obviously nobody's been able to totally do this, but define a little bit more clearly what consciousness is. Is it just like at least... Or, or it's like a larger amount of potential than a simple "this will hold me" or "this won't." It has to be like able to sort of make decisions, like and and the decisions could has to be, have to be able to vary a little bit, or like so. Is it is, is potential and pattern? I guess or
1: yeah, yeah. It's probably yeah. Typically, it's going to be about well. Most psychics would not formulate it exactly this way. Um, well, the, the big like point that people have been most talking about is phenomenal consciousness so the what it's like to feel something or to do something like the 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 blue i see there or the the quality of the sound i feel in my ear like those those qualities those phenomenal qualities that's the aspect of consciousness that people are most concerned about and if you look at it let's say with regards to potential and actuality as you just said earlier it's going to be about a, a, like a right balance between the two, where you actually see this phenomenal consciousness. If you're just like completely in chaos, if you don't, if, if like there's only potential and there's nothing to actualize in there, you won't see anything. Like it won't feel like anything. It will just be sort of a, a chaotic void. And similarly, if there's like just order, if there's no potential to do and like things are completely static once again, it's also not going to. Feel like anything, but the, um, the thing
0: is that there, there's nothing that exists that is just order or just chaos or just potential. In order mm-hmm. for it to exist at all and be a thing, it, mm-hmm. it it has to be constrained by it has to be constrained and it has to have potential. That's the, mm-hmm. those that's those are the characteristics of things at all, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so, well, yeah, I mean that, that yeah, I, I think that's fine.
1: If you at that point we can talk really more about let's say. A kind of gradation of consciousness, where like there are layers, right, gradient, there are things yeah, that are yeah. barely conscious at all, uh, well, so and there I are mean, others.
0: That- with that boundaries problem, that's that's where I kind of marry that thought I, I, I get from the phenomenology is just that like okay, something becomes a different thing when it's uh, I mean, the boundaries of what you know what what constitutes a chair and what's not the chair is like what could I sit on, so mm-hmm. the boundaries between what is consciousness and what is not consciousness. Might even change historically as you know, as philosophy de- develops or whatever. But it's just it changes depending depending on how I could interact with that consciousness. Is it is it conscious mm-hmm. enough, or is it close enough to my consciousness so that I could understand it and I could meaningfully that that thinking yeah. about it in a conscious as consciousness would would be useful to me. So I mean that comes yeah. into just sort of a pragmatism. But like I mean, so is that sort of make believe? Is that is that being is that using a metaphor? And to what extent is 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 anything not a metaphor then? <laughs> well, I think, well, I mean, if, um, the, I mean, the, the issue, if
1: you want to sort of talk with these kinds of, let's say, layers of, no, no, I shouldn't say layers. If you want to talk about these sort of gradations of consciousness where some things are almost not conscious and some things are very conscious, if you want to talk about it this way, just that you're, you're going to have to use a lot of words to describe some stuff. <laughs> like you, because, I mean, right. if, if you want to say that let's say the the chair before you interact with it, it you're going to have rather than say that the chair is not conscious like you're going to have to say that it's barely conscious and then like right. when you interact with it rather than saying that okay I'm conscious of the chair because like in that relationship between the chair and I I'm doing most of the heavy lifting of like bringing it into consciousness uh you're you're going to have to say probably something like okay like the chair is barely conscious when I look at it uh, it becomes a lot more conscious because I'm doing a lot of... Like, did you see, see or the, it becomes conscious
0: to me, or at least yeah. from, from a useful perspective, from, from my perspective. But again, yeah. in, in order... And, and that's... The, you get to a problem of... of see, I, I was thinking earlier today that every time you use the word really, I think you're sneaking in a form of realism. When you say, you know, but it's really not this. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day where we he was saying like, okay, you know, Something you learn through through meditation is that you know you you get you get over your ego and realize that you're not really yourself. You're really part of the universe. And it's like, no, you've just done the same trick of imagining self, but now you've imagined yourself as being as big as the universe. Mm -hmm. As soon as you decide anything is a thing, you're you're constraining it by your own perception. But it's not necessarily objectively like. I guess that's sort of my question. Something I'm struggling with is are are, are things objective or or? Is are things just something that we sort of subjectively map onto the world in order to be able to interact with it?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be both. Where it
0: has so it does have to be both. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: what I think like your point about people saying really is interesting. It seems like it's because people want to focus on just like one layer of being at a time. So, right. like, I, I'm obviously I'm both potential and form. I'm I'm potential and I'm right. also patterned. Uh, I cannot say that I'm really potential or that I'm really patterned, because really I'm both of those layers. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay, so, like, cl- classically, and I'm gonna veer off slightly from and what happens, basically, if you if you go with you know, the pencyclist idea of, okay, how, how is it that different consciousnesses can combine or fragment or whatever, you end up bringing in a lot of neoplatonism because neoplatonism is a great philosophy to look at how things combine or fragment how you can have patterns that bring potential together and like this has been very well developed throughout the history of the west until we like threw it away basically like after the middle ages and people tried to be reductionistic but like neoplatonism is coming back in many ways because it's answering a lot of problems and including the fact of like trying to understand like are things really, like, are they real in themselves? Are they real because I'm looking at them? Are they, like, just atoms? Are they patterns? Like, I'll, I'll I'll, how yeah, yeah, yeah. do all of those layers and, like, persons interact together in the world? And right. I think there are great answers, really, to this. If you look at traditional thinkers, basically, like, a great way to see the world is as layers of potential and patterns. So... I think it's it's simple very, really to start from the very bottom. If You look at what's going on at the bottom layer of physics.
0: I especially like, like the, laying it out layers of, of, of matter and pattern. Cuz then the, I said I especially like laying it, forming it as as lay, there's layers of matter and and pattern, not yeah. J- just cuz there's a I don't know, sorry. There's a symmetry. Oh, with but, but it's, words, good,
1: right? it's good it's uh, good it's good that you mentioned that because I've been using matter in the traditional sense for so long that I don't realize that it's very different from what people often hear about it. For for the Greeks, uh I mean for people up until like Descartes, I don't know, matter used to be potential. Right. Prime matter, what exists at the bottom the layer mother, of right? the world is just potential. And indeed if you do physics, that's what you're gonna find there. Like there's just there's not even math there. It's just potential. Things that can be actualized into things. Right. And so you have matter you have like prime potential at the bottom of things and then you have patterns that can inform that matter so like you can have particles that will pop up you have patterns i mean we we can study those patterns we have laws that explain to us like our electrons and different fundamental particles can pop out out of potential and so what you have there is you have potential meeting patterns and creating things like so so things are a meeting of potential and patterns and it's true at all layers of being and people have been bringing this up in different sciences and philosophy of science to try and explain how it is that you can jump from one science to the other so when let's say atoms jump together into molecules that chemists will study you jump from physics to chemistry and when you do that if Actually, we have not like reduced chemistry to physics by no means. Like it doesn't seem to really work this way. Mm. Um, what's the, the best way to talk about it? Really, is that when atoms combine together, you'll see the emergence of something new that is informed by higher level patterns. So, for mm-hmm. instance, the the classic example is water and. Uh, oxygen and hydrogen if you look at oxygen and hydrogen like they're 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 gases at room temperature like uh, oxygen allows us to uh, like breathe uh, hydrogen is flammable like they're, they're, they're these kinds of gases if you combine them together they become water which is a liquid completely different right. and it uh, can hydrate us allow us to live and so on so you you have the emergence of new causal powers like the potential of the the oxygen and the hydrogen becomes informed by a pattern of water. Uh, and you have this meeting of of water, an actual thing. And you say a meeting you
0: can't, of you can't reduce chemistry to physics. So it actually starts playing by a different set of rules.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's continuous, but it's different. Like people have been trying right. to reduce chemistry to physics and it doesn't seem it really doesn't seem like it works. Even even water, even like the example I just gave of like trying to reduce water to H2O doesn't actually work. Uh, it's like Maybe you could say it's H2O on average. Uh, really, like, water is, like, there's a bunch of free oxygen and free hydrogen, uh, like, all interacting together in complex ways. And it's from all of this mess that you have actual water. Uh, like, people haven't really reduced it. And
0: So there's some, there's some nature of water that seems to come in and inhabit those two gases and turn them into, right? I mean, yeah. is, is this kind of coming down yeah. to the nature thing of, like, what it really is?
1: Yeah, I mean, Aristotle would say a form. Like, you have the form of water, the pattern of water, mm-hmm. that is coming down and informing the oxygen and hydrogen. Right. So it's the same thing that happened at the bottom layer of physics. You have potential, you have, like, raw materials that get informed by some higher-level pattern. And but it's the same thing that happens at That's the process that level.
0: seems so confusing. Is just like, it, it, And that's, that's where sort of a version of dualism starts to be really useful because it's like, okay, well, we just we exit the system and then we poke it in we poke like this this hand from from the re, the reality of chemistry reaches into physics and turns it into something you know yeah. it's like it's yeah, it's a but, miracle right <laughs> that's what it seems yeah. like anyways
1: but but we don't want to be dualistic cuz we want to say that this happens at all of the layers cuz right. like you, you you'll have the same thing again i mean the you can say that the the potential of the bottom layer of physics is potential relative to particles which are potential relative to atoms which are potential relative to molecules which are potential relative to right, cells that's, which that's are potential relative right? to animals which are potential relative to to angels like cities and marriages and so on right. which are potential relative to, to like the entire cosmos okay. and which and the entire creation is it gets tricky when you try to talk about god because strictly speaking well, like is, god is beyond even potential but
0: go ahead so I, I, so a consciousness is really, if we agree, it's sort of a gradient, and it just be, becomes most useful to think about consciousness as things most similar to our consciousness because we're the observers and we're trying to talk about consciousness. But so when we talk about God's consciousness, is God more conscious, or is it an angel's consciousness is it more conscious or less conscious than yeah. you know than us?
1: Yeah the 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 classical answer will be, and I think it makes a lot of sense is. You would say that God and the angels are more conscious. Uh, their consciousness is different, though. Uh, so, for instance, I, I'm conscious of things through patterns. I It's because I have learned to perceive, for instance, glasses, uh, uh, computers, and, and so on. I've learned to pick up on those patterns. Because I have learned this, that I can take the potentiality I see before me and extract patterns out of them. Uh, like I, I have learned to see forms mm-hmm. and like this is my consciousness my consciousness happens right. through, through through those patterns but which,
0: which actually are the- i i wrote down one of your quotes cuz i i did read yeah. one of your uh, at least one i think i read a couple of your papers but i read, I read one of them about mm-hmm. okay here it, it was i think it was um conscious or or let's see like seeing things as patterns or something like that uh, mm-hmm. or our perception is symbolic, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. But the quote was, you know, as infants, we learn to perceive simple objects and eventually people. As children, we learn to perceive increasingly complex emotions in people. Later, we begin to discern narratives and moral patterns. As we grow older, we learn to perceive social and historical patterns. As Christians, we strive to perceive the pattern of all patterns, i.e. God. Yeah. That thought was a yeah. good touchstone to bring in, but, like... <laughs> Well, I, I also, I, I mean, that makes a bit of sense to me. Is is it landing? Is it still landing for you, Evan? Do you have any any pushback here? Uh you got to keep going. I think. For <laughs> <a minute. laughs> yeah, yeah, we can because we were almost
1: at the point of talking about like what it would be for God to be conscious of things. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I'm I'm conscious of pat of things through patterns, and it happens in time. Like I have to actually like practice to see things, and then I have to look at things to be able to perceive them. Uh, become conscious of them but god himself created all of those patterns and creates them at every instant uh and keeps holding them into creation like those patterns they just they don't they don't just pop out of nowhere they come from somewhere and classically they're all located in god's mind um and then yeah there are several arguments for this but the the basic idea is just take all of those patterns okay if they, they they exist but they're not like material things in themselves. Uh, and you could do the same thing about and matter by when way.
0: you say material yeah okay you're saying matter they're not just potential yeah. things.
1: Yeah, like they they don't exist just in the concrete world for instance. They
0: well that that even, that, that argues a little bit with our previous usage of the word matter because if they're material yeah. they would be exclusively potential things.
1: Yeah, they <laughs> they let's say they manifest right on matter like the potentials Potential need... I don't even think that's true of all patterns, but... Okay, I, I think I'm going to Sorry, try to use a classic here, argument. Yeah. I'm going to try to use a classic argument to locate all of the patterns in God's mind. A classic argument is from Neoplatonism, and St. Augustine uh, used it, is you look at the reality of abstract objects. A good example of this is mathematical objects. For instance, if you look at mathematical truths, let's say the Pythagorean theorem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this, this theorem exists. Uh, it There are people who try to deny the reality of mathematics, but lots of mathematicians do accept the reality of mathematics. If you work in mathematics, it certainly feels this way. Like If you want to make progress, you have to actually think, think that you're studying real things. And mathematicians will often even like describe the experience of doing mathematics as trying to Almost have a kind of dialogue with like the creator of everything, like with an abstract mm-hmm. entity that informs or contains all of the patterns. So lots of people will want to say that mathematics is real, like it explains too much stuff. Uh, it uh, and, and yet, despite the fact that it exists, it's not something that depends on 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 creation at all. Like even if there was no world, mathematics. Would still be true, like the Pythagorean Pet- theorem will still exist, even if there was no like known universe. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't depend on on matter, on the world of manifestation. Right.
0: Uh, so, in such then, it, then it's not a perfect description, or it can't perfectly map onto the real world. Which, and, and the problem there, I think, is because because of infinity, or because it, an infinity of complexity, or or just as soon as you admit that infinity is even a concept. Any closed system—I mean, a concept that exists within the real world, or mm-hmm. you know, the the objective world, the world that exists—you um, you can't. No matter how you try to describe the world, you always fall short. You always you try always try to fit an infinite thing inside of a closed box, which is is impossible.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I don't think that's where I wanted to go exactly. Um, maybe. Yeah, I think I'll try to still do the classic argument. Maybe okay, it will sorry. help, and then maybe I can bring it back to your to to the point you just made. But the basic idea is, okay, if you, okay, it, once you realize that you cannot put something that is, let's say, infinite, as you said, into the finite world. Once you accept that mathematical objects exist outside of of creation, for, I should say further, they even exist outside of space and time, like. Mathematical truths would still be true, even if time itself did not exist. Before creation, you can say, if such a thing is (laughs) possible. Like Mathematical objects would still be real, and then the the move that Neoplatonists do is to say that, okay, well, these mathematical truths, they, they exist, but they're not dependent on space and time in any way, so they must exist elsewhere than just space and time and then they locate them in the mind of god like into something that is outside of space and time and typically right. what people put outside of space and time is god and there are arguments for this as well uh, like if something is outside of space and time it doesn't depend on yeah i don't, I don't think i'll go into all of the detail arguments. okay well, there's I, a i
0: i remember um there, there's a, a popular neoplatonist in Christian apologetic circles. His name is um, William Lane Craig. That's I was forgetting his name at first. But I, I saw him uh, doing a debate um, in South Carolina a while back. And they were talking about exactly this conversation. They were they were having an argument about whether or not numbers really exist. Yep. And again, we're running into that word really. But yep. it, he was sort of arguing that, that they do. And I think he was basically laying out this this argument that you've just given. Yep. And it didn't land for me. And it still isn't landing for me because... I'll maybe try and even ask you the same question I asked him because it seemed like... Well, I mean, a lot of people asking him questions, and so he didn't have time Mm -hmm. to really at least explain it so it made sense to me anyways. I I wasn't sure that he understood the question. but (laughs) Probably I just didn't understand the answer. But it, it seems that, again, so math and mathematical objects, they... They don't describe uh, well. I, I guess I'm just wondering why would you even say that they exist? Like they're sort of um, shorthands for for making sense of the world. But why would you say that mathematical objects? Why would you say that there's you know there's actually a circle just because there's a concept of a circle? And You say it exists in the mind of God. But okay, sure. So th- so now we now God is just a category for things that don't exist, but are a, a sort of an ideal for for. For entities to take so it's like you know man exists in the, in the mind of God as a potential pattern to take shape someday but not mm-hmm. in any um any conquer I mean I guess like, like like so everything that's a circle even like the the mouth of this this cup mm-hmm. it's it's not actually a circle but it's sort of embodying that form of a circle so a, a circle isn't really a real thing it's a hypothetical thing
1: the 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 issue that you get if you deny the reality of those objects is that you end up undercutting yourself at some point. Uh because you need concepts to be able to speak. You need concepts to be real to be able to speak. You, you because well, you just need to I, believe I took the example real, of that, right? Sorry?
0: You just need to, to sort of believe or or, or or gamble that they're real. And that's kind of my idea of faith is just like you, you don't you can't be certain about the existence of anything or anyone or any event but you have varying levels of certainty that you can gamble on and some of them some are of you, you certain
1: of what you just said there
0: no I'm, so... I'm not 100% certain but i have a i have a varying degrees of certainty and so I, there's there's just there's levels of certainty that i'm willing to bet on but i not. think
1: it's a vacuous statement what you just said uh, i mean if you if you say that you have varying degrees of certainty about the world, then either you said something certain, which you can't have said something certain because then you would contradict yourself. So you said that you're uncertain about the fact that you're uncertain about things.
0: Right. Like I said, and it's like, obviously, the the point, the argument you're making is that every time I make a statement, I'm making a a manifest statement. So I'm taking away the potential uh, for me to be saying something else, even though, I mean, this is is hard to think through, but yeah, it's, I'm,
1: (laughs) it's not exactly my point. The the point is just that you need some abstract objects that actually exist for you to be able to make meaningful statements. Like you don't need to say that everything you say uses real categories, but you need to say that at least some of them, like sometimes you use real categories to speak. Otherwise, everything you say will be contradictory or vacuous like the statement you you, you put earlier. Uh, if you say that, okay, I'm not absolutely certain of anything. Mm-hmm. Well, if what you said was something true, like if you're using like a real, if you're trying to make, a completely true statement, then you would contradict yourself because you would be completely certain that you're not completely certain of anything. Right, so, so that doesn't work. The thing, so but,
0: I'm not looking for about mathematical truths of like again. So so that that's where math again seems to disconnect from reality for me because mm-hmm. I, I, I think about things in in terms of varying degrees of potential. It's like anything that exists is is it's it's potential in in constrained by a pattern but not totally constrained. The pattern never totally takes over and closes the system. There's always still potential or else it stops being a thing because a thing has to have both potential and pattern, right? And so to, to the extent that... Okay, so so anytime something becomes a thing, it's still not a closed system. I, that's interesting. I wonder... I've never
1: thought about this point. Be, because let's see... So I mean it's a fairly classical point to say that let's say matter or potential doesn't exist by itself. Like it always has to be informed by something or it's not, it's not it's not real in a sense. But, but you still use the category to speak. So, right. I mean that, well, that, so that's that, then it becomes
0: it comes back to the Heideggerian thing for me. Yep. It's just like, okay, it's useful to say that I believe that because at least... So now I've manifested that in, in, in sort of in a, in a solid way, even though I'm, I can't necessarily be absolutely certain of it. I'm certain enough to say it and sort of gamble with that truth and make that statement... Mm-hmm. And then you can play with it. And then I'm, but I'm still going to be humble enough to admit that I, m- I might be wrong. And later, when you prove me wrong, or, or I find, I mean, you know, my, my consciousness gets to some new place where I can see the world in a different way. I, I don't have to be constrained by the way I've said things because I, whenever mm-hmm. I say things, I, I might be wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah,
1: I think I, I think I see why you, you, said you said bring I back, back here. But let's say, okay, earlier you said that the point was. You see everything as existing as a meeting of potential and pattern and that's okay but then you insisted on the fact that nothing will be like totally manifest and closed off
0: right right
1: okay and okay can you tell me why you want to be able to say this like what what was the reason why you wanted to all this
0: yeah, the reason for that statement is I guess I'm thinking about making statements. And so mm-hmm. when I make a statement,'m'm I'm, I'm, I'm taking ideas and I'm and I'm and, and I'm constraining them with with the spoken mm-hmm. word into a more specific thing. Mm-hmm. But even okay. I, I, but I, I think okay, so then it's interesting. Like it's
1: so let's see let's see we have three things. You'll have the potential, you'll have the pattern and you'll have the meeting right uh, like do you see any of those three as real
0: <laughs> well i don't never want to is it just depends like i so i mean I, I can get down to just a pragmatic usage of the word real again and then it just becomes well yeah. what are we trying to use real to, to do with what, what, what what's the value system that we're using to decide what what's real because i mean but, that's another point that really stuck out to me and I, I mean um, Ian McGilchrist mm-hmm. goes into this with the master and his Just like a mountain only becomes a thing once you apply an ideal to it and a value system to it, it becomes you know it becomes a navigational point for a sailor. It becomes something to climb, and it becomes a source of shade for somebody else. It's like it becomes something when you when you want to do something with it. And so things can only exist and be something when when I don't know. But I mean, you could still say that and the
1: mountains. Would exist even if there were new humans look at to look at them,
0: right? I mean, you you wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily be a distinct thing.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be the same mountain, but there would still be something there. Like there would still well, be a heap of rocks and whatever.
0: Well, I don't know why would it be a heap of rocks? Because who is is somebody collecting rocks?
1: <laughs> it's like, well, if. Um, Maybe uh, we can try to go at this gradually. Like, if if you didn't exist, like you would still say that the mountain exists. I,
0: I mean, I, so I, I think it has to be interacting with some form of consciousness, which is why I kind of want that consciousness okay. gradient. Is so okay. So maybe the, the mountain is a thing to to a bird, or, yeah. or maybe even the mountain is a thing to a rock that has some sort mm-hmm. of yeah. of will.
1: Yeah. Well, one way to 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 put maybe try and <laughs> bring this back to your. I think the The primary reason why you brought this earlier was, okay, like, things exist as a meeting of potential and pattern. Humans can perceive things as the the meeting of pattern and potential precisely, including the mountain you just spoke about. But in God's consciousness, you have a, a... Qualitative is probably not even a strong enough word. You have an ontological jump where God not only perceive things as let's say through certain patterns but you'd say that god is the ground of that matter and the also the ground of those patterns like right. he creates the patterns and he creates the matter right. so while we learn to see things through patterns god creates both of them so like is that makes his consciousness ontologically different from ours like we have to what we perceive in consciousness is like one act of creation for God. So like obviously, we cannot think very well about God, con- God's consciousness. It's even worse than like a child trying to think about his parents' consciousness. Right. But like you can at least still get an idea of the scale where, like, whereas we have to learn to perceive things through patterns, God creates patterns and matter. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I, I think I'm following along with this, especially this scale of, okay, if, if the idea is that God is more conscious because I, I when I was talking to my friend Andrew recently yep. he was saying he thinks that God is is less conscious and I'm still I still want to tease that out with him a little bit but uh, it seems that okay so if consciousness sort of scales that like mm-hmm. it has to do with how high and how low you can go yeah that, yep. that's 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 maybe the the metric for how 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 conscious something is it's like and and that kind of goes I think that's a good transition point to get into the Peterson and Peugeot conversation because mm-hmm. they start talking about um, about Christ being and like the, so I, when it comes to that story it's like okay so this is this is a being that is the above all patterns like it's just it's the yep. pattern of patterns and it descends all the way down to the bottom of material the bottom mm-hmm. of potential and takes all of it and manifests it in, and, and redeems it and 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 mm-hmm. Well, and, and you don't want to get to pantheism because you don't want to say that God is everything. Or I don't know. I I, I wonder where you would would fall on that mm-hmm. as far as you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's always a touch issue because you want to say okay, you want to
1: uphold a clear line between creation and creator. So let's say the, the the pattern and the potential we talked about earlier. You want to say that God is distinct from them. God is their ground. Like they they come forth from God. Potential, uh, potential in patterns, but the goal ultimately is for this outpouring from God to all come back towards God. Uh, so you you have a a way I've tried to put it earlier that I think helps people understand. Hopefully, you can tell me if it works. Is you distinguish between pantheism down and pantheism up? Like the danger is a kind of pantheism down, where you try to bring God down to creation. You try to say that, okay, well then, this ground of potential in pattern is just the potential in the pattern. This would be a pantheism down, where you bring the creator down to creation. But doesn't
0: that ultimately lead to animism, basically?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what what you'd get. And that's what classical theists have always tried to reject in all great traditions. But... The other way around is more hopeful, and it's sort of pantheism up, where you try to bring all of creation to God. And obviously, it's impossible for this to work correctly because you maintain a distinction between creation and creator, but you can still like, try to have creation emerge as much as possible back into God. Well, you can try to have the, the patterns and the potential meet in ways that will most manifest where they come from.
0: Say that last part one more time.
1: Yeah, it's a. I think the best to understand it, rather than saying it again exactly, is to use a great reading of Genesis. Is if you if you notice in Genesis, it's exactly this pattern of in the beginning God creates the heavens, the patterns, and the earth. That's the matter. That's yeah. the potential. And then at each day of creation, you have a meeting of certain layers within that stuff. So you'll have like the sea. You'll have like the sky. You'll have like the fishes. You'll have the birds. And then at the end. Right and smack in the middle, you'll have man. So mm-hmm. you go, so God creates the patterns, the potential, creates all of the things in between, culminating in man. Okay, and like in all of those different days of creation where God creates some layers of being, he says that it was good. And mm-hmm. that's creation coming back towards God. Like the, the potential and the patterns can meet in good ways. And we can all recognize this. There are people that we admire. There are things that we recognize as good, as meaningful, and so on. And creation is meant to do that, is meant to be good. It's it's meant to manifest what it was made for. And in doing that, when every time that God says that he saw that it was good, that's creation coming back towards God. That's like an emergence of what creation was made for, what the patterns and the potential were made for. And it culminates in man who was very good. So and on the seventh day of creation, when God rests, that's also the same idea. It's it's a day to just have creation emerge back into god it's a it's a day where god doesn't create things it's a rather a day when things come back to god and the good way to read this is well obviously like the creation didn't happen in like seven periods of 24 hours it's an ontological description of what happens at every instant at every instant like the patterns are emanated from god and similarly for the the the, the matter like potential in god god always creates all of the things in between like it says in genesis and then at every instant when things meet well, it all comes back to God. And the seventh day is like means that God is not exhausted by all this. Like the 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 fact that God rests means that you don't just have this matter and meeting those potentials. You also have the fact that God remains distinct, like he, he rests, he's not exhausted by what has happened there. And the goal is for it to all come back. So
0: I I don't really know what you mean by coming. I, I guess you're giving an example of coming back as in at least God is is giving it a thumbs up and saying this is the the right way for this matter and pattern to manifest. But yeah. Okay, so where where are you going with that as far as that you're coming back to God?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not sure what prompted me to say this initially. Uh, your your point <laughs> well, initially, your, your first question when I started talking about uh, we were talking about the the scaling thing. So yeah. Let's just remember. So it was uh, like how, like, what's really in all of those things between pa- matter patterns and meeting together? And initially, earlier, you had asked about the consciousness of God. So I tried to like explain the the bridge. Let's say between okay, some in some things you have very simple meetings of patterns and potential. Uh, in the case of humans, it's bigger. In the case of God, it's like ontologically distinct because he creates those things it's it's distinct
0: because he's created okay so maybe we need to go back to the to the values creating reality thing again because so so every time you know an observer so i was talking about the mountain and mm -hmm. and consciousness has to be interacting with it for it to be a mountain at least from my perspective and so it's is is god creating the universe in a meaningfully different way than i create the universe with my consciousness yes Okay, so why? Be- it's yes. because God is 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 has caused the thing to actually. Well, I mean, I'm sort of existing here, and I don't know how I how I began to exist. Hmm. But this God actually gets is, is into an interesting that
1: question that becomes this. I, mean, I don't like know if it's God even fully answers. Right? Go ahead.
0: Well, I, I, the difference is that I, I had a beginning, but I wasn't in charge of my beginning. I happened to begin based on some pattern external to me, but God is is the one, you know, the being that that has no beginning, has no end.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are tons of differences. Like the fact that you exist in time, as you just said, you have a beginning and an end, and God has neither. And like, it's even further because I think that the good way to, to see it is, I like to put it the way that God is outside of time, not in the sense that he... Sometimes when when people hear this, they think sort of as God set everything forth in motion sort of at the beginning and then everything sort of flew forth. But that's just a clever way of putting God at the beginning of time, putting, putting God in time. Like when people think about putting God outside of time, it more means that like all of its closer, it's not quite that, but it's closer to saying that all of creation is one instant for God. It's more like when you, let's say we were talking about consciousness earlier. When sometimes you'll have moments of this where you're able to compress a bunch of potential. Let's say you're trying to write something. Yeah. Uh, at some point, you can have a flash for what you're gonna write in, let's say, the next three paragraphs. Like it can just sort of flash before you. You compress a bunch of time, a bunch of potential into like one moment that you'll actually, You can get the entire idea for a, like a novel. In one instant, like that, you can have like the the beginning, the middle, and the end. Like you can have everything sort of spring forth in one instant, and like all of creation is kind of like that for God. Where like this, so it's a big difference between let's say the way that we see the mountain. Like we have to learn to perceive things. Infants don't just see things outright. We have to practice. Uh, Then to actually perceive the mountain, we need to look at it as well. Uh, We cannot sort of not look at it for it to exist. If we keep your framework, but doesn't doesn't apply to God He's sort of always looking at it and creating it. There's also, I think another big thing is that we we don't create the potential at the bottom of the mountain, for instance. Where let's say if I, I learn to perceive let's say th- this this glass, it's okay, it's it's me, I get to see through the patterns the the glass as a glass but i don't create the matter in in the glass uh it's i i have the patterns to see it i can sort of
0: you, yeah you apply from, a pattern to it in or yeah describe yeah it. and
1: even yeah I, even maybe a good way to see it is that i'm a mediator between like the pattern and the and the glass like the glass is sort of something the pattern of the glass is sort of something higher that i have to learn to be able to interact with like children don't okay. can just see the glass. And I also so I take the, the potential that is below me, like the the potential that's in the glass, actually, like it's it's its particles and fundamental fields and whatever. Yeah. So sure. I mediate between that potential and the form of the glass that's above me. And so the form, I,
0: but the form is based on utility, right? It's like Yeah. So yeah, yeah. but yeah. Well, it, yeah. it only becomes a glass because it's useful to you for doing something. That's what that's what I'm saying is that I, I think you can say that yeah
1: but that's it for for God who creates all of the objects he sees all of their uses as well
0: right I think so, so it's that. like there's there's some so it's like god's ideal it, it keeps everything existing at all times because god is always observing everything and also he has god has a plan for you and everything in the universe right yeah. it's, it's like so yeah. be, because god has an ideal or or so it's, it's like so if 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 things are created by reading a, a, a hierarchy of ideals into them, by having an aim, mm-hmm. and God has an aim, and He can observe and cr- basically he, he can create the entire universe by having by having a plan for it. Yeah, in well, like one flash, one story, right? Creates everything. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, <laughs> have we, have, you can have see we that closed? in
1: Augustine, by the way. Like, okay, uh, he, he str- I don't. I don't remember where he struggles with this. Like. How is it that you can relate God outside of space and time to a world that is in space and time? And like right. that's the way he solves it. Basically, is by saying that you sort of just have to to compress things. He uses other examples, like a melody. You can like to actually perceive music. You have to learn to stand outside of just the individual notes. You have to be able to abstract and sort of pull it all into mm-hmm. one one moment. And like all of creation is like God seeing. Like one telos is going towards and everything sort of trickles down from that.
0: Can you can you define telos?
1: Yeah, I think But what you said earlier, I think was good. Like what's like the end of something. Like what the thing is going towards. So if... Um,
0: okay, okay, okay. So yeah. it's it, like an ideal. Okay, it's an aim. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Sorry for using the Greek term. It's just like... No, 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 that's good. Often used in the literature, but well, yeah, it that, just means a name. Like right. the, 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 and that the purpose helps me something.
0: to then whenever I start interacting with with some of those texts that are using that word I, I have I have a little bit of a context for it yeah yeah um okay I'm sorry I, I I know we don't have all night and I don't want to keep you keep you up if, especially if you're getting tired
1: uh <laughs> it's good I could, I could still do a while it's been interesting I I'm not tired
0: yet okay uh, yeah all right well let, let me see I, want, I want look I, I kind of made a list of some things I wanted to go through with you because yeah. I realize not everybody I have conversations with is interested in talking about them this <laughs> in fact yeah. it's hard to find somebody who wants to talk about this so I was very excited and very looking forward to this conversation because there were a lot of things that I've been wanting to try to process and I I, I guess I'm really thankful that you're willing to do this because this has already helped me a lot to process some stuff I've been I've been oh, struggling to get I'm through. Happy
1: because so far I was afraid that was not that helpful <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I've, you're, this has definitely been helpful so far but uh, okay cool let me, let me see what else would, would maybe be useful to, to try to get to Um. Well, okay. M- maybe we can kind of use this phrase as a touchstone, though. Maybe, maybe, maybe we've already kind of done all we can with this concept. But, but a phrase that kept coming up in the, with the conversation between and, and I wanted to point this out too. It was a conversation between JP and JP, and now I'm talking to JP. So, <laughs> yeah. that's that's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> but they kept so on, many uh,
1: Canadian JPs.
0: <laughs> I, don't, well, I At first, I thought I, I I remembered your name was JP, and I was like, Is that Jean Paul? <laughs> and if, if if it was that, that would have been even better because then there's the conversation between jo- John Verveke and Paul Vanderclay, and you got that one too, John Paul. Yeah. But no, it's John. <laughs> 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 Anyways, aside from the the fun puns, uh, the the phrase that kept coming up is is and this is where Jordan got very emotional. And was talking about he said sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch, mm-hmm. right? And 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 somebody in the comments brought up you know that that's that's exactly what you know. What's brought up in the book of John of the, of the word becomes flesh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, I, I mean, where the conversation went with them and, and the conversation that I'm really interested in having and that I'm... I, I, I feel something very emotional when I try to think about talking about this because it, it, it seems like there are some stakes here and I, I don't really know what to do with this conversation yet. But as far as... I mean, the the, the question that, that Jordan brought up is just, you know, why why do you have to believe? Why, why is there such an insistence in Christian circles that, you know, the story about Christ needs to be historically true? You know, like, to me and my practice of Christianity, this, the passion of the Christ is good enough for me to believe it and to act on it, even if it's only as... Um, True in a, in a mythical sense, as as the story of creation, or or the story of Noah and the flood, it's like that's still a good enough story to inspire me to want to live the way that Christianity that Christianity tells me. But I, I, it makes me struggle with different ways of of interacting with, you know, with Jesus within this religion and within the way Christians want to talk about Jesus because it, I. I, I don't know if I think of of Jesus as 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 a concept or as a historical person or or I don't know I, so it's like so what the answer that, that Jonathan sort of gives is is that uh, it sort of needs to be true because of the potential of it's like in order for, the, for all these other little stories about, about matter and pattern meeting and creating things, mm-hmm. it needs to be true in the, in the ultimate sense, and we need to see that play out on sort of the ultimate scale. At least if I'm understanding his argument right, that was sort of what he was saying. And that, that sounds like an interesting point, and, it, and it, like, it made me excited. It made me perk up my ears when I heard him say that, but I, I can't follow it through as to exactly why because it, it kind of comes back to, I guess, maybe the mathematical argument about circles, about mathematical objects is like, I don't see why there has to be a real circle in order for there to be things that inhabit the potential of a hypothetical circle. Like, I, I see the reason for the myth of the circle, and I see the reason for the myth of Christ, but I don't see why it, it's, there, there's a necessity in it being true for it to be usefully true.
1: Yeah, there are several ways, I think, to try to answer this. I think you'll Well, yeah, I have to choose sort of which way I decide to answer this. There are a few ways. One way, well, can, can is I to, get just you say to
0: go past the 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 argument way of, of approaching this and and be be as personal with, with me as you can and and explain to me mm-hmm. how it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you, you'll get okay.
1: You will at some point, I think what happens is initially. For a long time, I was just trying to understand it symbolically, as I think you're doing right now. You try to sort of look at it bottom up. You try to find all kinds of examples of thing, things close to you, whether it be like in panpsychism or the way you perceive things. You try to use examples close to you to understand like what the story could mean for you uh, then in your life. You try to sort of look at it bottom up, try to find something in the in, the story of the incarnation, and then bring it back down to your life. I think if you do that enough, at some point, it's gonna be use like it's gonna become easy to just see the story itself and then look at the world standing from the story. Uh, so I think it's like if you maybe it's like trying to learn, uh, maybe it's like trying to learn how to. To, to write, see you're a child. You you have to learn all of those like grammar rules. Uh, like it takes years, but then at some point you're able to 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 write. Like you're you know okay, I'm trying to write this. Like what's the gra- what's the rule already? And oh okay, I conjugated this way and whatever. But at some point, you just have a feel for what things should feel like when they're written right.
0: No, I learned and then in- you just, English. We didn't we didn't have to learn about almost any conjugation. Not not nothing like French. Don't. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, in French. We have
1: tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think, but you I mean you still have some some stuff you have to learn. But the basic idea is that at some point you just jump to the higher, and then you you can forget like about the details of the grammar, uh, and then you know by feel how things should look below, and you can even deduce then like what happens below. And the same thing happens at some point with Christianity as well. Like I mean, of course, when I went back to church myself, like I couldn't fully believe the entire thing. I was just like it was an exercise. I I was trying to like go through my arguments and practice them as let's say we're saying the words and whatever, so that I could then like better embody the patterns when I go back into my own life. But at some point, I was making enough connections that it became more natural to see like creation as a reflection of God rather than like. Rather than the other way around. So I was able to see, for instance, that okay. So earlier we talked about all the ways in which pattern, all the ways in which matter and potential can meet to create things. Like this simple act of communion within creation. So rather than seeing the incarnation as, let's say, the the highest scale of this process, where you have the creator coming down on creation to like incarnate, rather than starting from all of those simple examples and then going to the biggest one and then being skeptical about the reality of the biggest one, I just sort of see that the fundamental category is the biggest thing, the union between creator creator and creation. And everything in between is a reflection of that whole process. So I see that the world ultimately was made for the communion between creation and creator. And everything in between reflects that kind of communion. And like in practice, in practice, it does. I do think it gives me more than seeing things just symbolically. Um, I should say just symbolically. It gives me more than if I was skeptical of their physical manifestation, for instance. Uh, it gives a very strong kind of courage. I would say, like, obviously, I'm not a saint, and I can't fully live in the the story. But like, I can see, especially reading the lives of the saints. I can see a pull. I, I can see that it gives me very concrete courage. Uh, if let's see, I see people who believed in the incarnation so much that they're willing to completely give down give their lives for it. And like not just martyrs, like also just people who have, let's say, terrible marriages or like their their spouse gets sick and then they have to take care of him or her for like four years. Uh, like this kind of daily courage that i see christians have because of the incarnation i find that very powerful and i like in practice i want it for me and i think it's viable i actually think that the world makes more sense when i look at it like using the category of creature creator and creation with the incarnation then if i just try to stay within the world and i'm skeptical about the story
0: yeah well is it now, now coming back to this uh, perception is symbolic paper, it's it's landing a little bit more for me that that little story that you kind of told about a, a child, you know, not even being able to recognize things as a mm-hmm. as an infant, and and then growing and and being you know even as simple as being able to to recognize yeah. a cup, right? Recognize the potential and the pattern meeting in that some way, and I feel like you're telling me that if at least for you, it's it's started to play out as like you began to recognize God in the same way that that a child eventually learns to recognize a cup, just by I guess interacting with, it, interacting with adults. A child interacting with adults he, he kind of uh, almost by a, an osmosis learns you know learns to recognize things mm-hmm. by uh, by spending time with Christians and 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 higher you know more spiritually conscious people I might mature in the same way a child would and and begin to just recognize God as a as a, mm-hmm. as a thing yeah or as a real entity
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I I, I I speak with people who have living the Christian have been living the Christian life for a long time and like some people it's like just think that they see God as often as they see the neighbor like they can always like see Different actions of God around them, they can like see that if they do this, it will please or displease God or whatever. Like they, God becomes really like super present around them, and especially in the the liturgy, that's where you get to practice it the most for sure. But yeah, it becomes much more personal, I would say. It becomes close, like you you get to perceive. And I'm not like very far ahead right, on this road, but I can still get enough of it to find it delightful. I would say.
0: <laughs> and that delight it pushes you forward. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: That's... Yeah, I mean, it, the world is, it makes the world a lot more magical and it gives a lot of concrete, actually a lot of very concrete like motivation for for even like today I was working and it was a bit boring but I could like put myself like in the story, especially now it's it, we're, we're during Lent, so I could put myself during, let's say, the story of Lent and try to imagine how it is that, okay, well, Christ himself suffered in all kinds of ways. I mean, he was a carpenter for decades, just doing boring work before he got to like, right. start his ministry. So I can
0: like see... You insert yourself in a, in a cosmic story, yeah. sort of?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can see myself as, let's say, trying to mirror a cosmic story. It yeah. becomes... Much more meaningful, and
0: you, you mentioned magic, or or that it becomes more magical. Um, yeah, and that was something I wrote down too. I think it's Clark's Law, uh, is, is what it's classically called, or it's just that that anything, um, any technology, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I, I think that kind of relates. I mean that that was where I went to it in my mind when I was listening to you guys talk about miracles with you, you and John and mm-hmm. Paul. Um, Especially when you got to the point of that, you know, a miracle isn't something necessarily different in kind, but maybe in degree from other sorts of creative mm-hmm. events. Uh, and, and that ties again to me to I, I remember listening to. I think this is actually when when we saw um, Evan and I got to go and, and see Peterson um, speak live in, in Hamilton uh, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and he you know he got asked this question a lot just about how to deal with nihilism, and it becomes it, it very much is that that. Oh, hope of miracles essentially he basically just said like well your understanding of of the nature of things probably isn't complete i mean or at least why would you think that it is the process he said that you,
1: to the, the nihilist i'm not sure i follow the context
0: the, oh, the nihilist is, is that okay so you, you think you've come to the conclusion that nothing has any meaning
1: right mm-hmm. w-
0: why would you be convinced by your own conclusion have you ever been certainly right about anything before? Basically, <laughs> mm. I. It's basically I, he. He kind of says, "Yeah, like, uh, uh, what makes you so sure you can trust your own conclusion on this?" I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, some other people will come to this conclusion, but like, are are you ready to to end it there and just say, "Okay, you figured it out." That's kind of it's very prideful, anyways, mm-hmm. and and almost the opposite of pride is hope. Is is that like? Oh, perhaps there's a there's a higher understanding of this that I I might get to eventually, if I just you know continue to listen, continue to learn, or continue to kind of walk that faith journey. I mean, for for you, we're kind of describing a more spiritual faith journey, but even just walking the journey of life and and seeing, okay, maybe things do have meaning. You you might you might come to realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, so it, it just that your current understanding of of things, they always. Your your perception of reality is always through a sort of a system, right? Your your worldview is always kind of it can sort of be identified. It's, it's like you're you're just you're condensing the world down to the limitations of the patterns that you can understand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you can't understand you, you, like you know even yeah. process the, the world is much bigger. Yeah, and, right. It's much bigger, and and as long as you can grasp that story, there's there's an almost infinite amount of hope because you never know how much more understanding you could get to. And realize that, you know, that your current understanding wasn't sufficient. It's like that there's always, you know, there's always a miracle that exists. There's always magic that exists because there's always something that's that's beyond your own understanding. And magic to describe that category of just things that you don't understand.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean And it can start small. Like if you can start by just noticing how matter and potential meet like at small scales and it can at some point you can start to realize that and this brings it back to mathematics but if let's say when i when i get to perceive something like when my consciousness informs some some potential like i want to say that my consciousness actually exists like this pattern exists it's not just sort of a nihilistic illusion where everything is fundamentally just like Atoms (laughs) Atoms <laughs> and then everything on top of it is is sort of abstract and doesn't really exist. Like yeah. if
0: I if I'm able to say that well, in see, that hierarchy
1: okay. of patterns, just, just to like, point they out exist. the flaw
0: in that argument, really quick, I feel like that's the same trick I was talking about before about the the, the Buddhist uh, self like, yeah. ego death thing. It's just like oh you've you've taken this trick you were playing about having self and now you're saying oh it's it's a universe. You're doing that same trick to say that that an atom really is a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that is the only thing. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like why? Why are, that's so arbitrary? Why did you decide to, to stop there or to start there? Yeah, and I mean it's incorrect
1: even for the reasons that we discussed
0: earlier. Like if
1: if you're saying this, like is what you're saying atoms? Like your, your, <laughs> the proposition, like what you just said, like is it is it true or is it just like atomic accidents? Like should should should, should you believe yourself? If it's just atoms, anyways, like they're yeah, neoplanism is making a comeback because we want those patterns to be real. And if I it goes back to why I'm, I I I like the idea of saying that even mathematical truths exist, like even outside of creation. Because if I get to say that they're real, like I'm that much more convinced that my consciousness is real because it's another pattern. I want all of those layers of patterns to be real so that I can say meaningful things. So that my consciousness exists. Uh, yeah. So that ultimately, like I have a whole current hierarchy where yeah. I can see how the world is made of nested layers of of, of potential and of patterns, and ultimately like behind all of that is a God with beyond pattern and potential altogether.
0: Beyond it. Okay. Well, maybe we can come back there. I guess one thing I wanted to hit real quick is just as you were explaining yep. that you said, I want to be able to say this. And yep. and that that to me, I, I, the way I heard Brett Weinstein kind of sum this up is just that like the, the so, and, and I like it because, and this is sort of the way I, I've been, been dealing with belief as well is just that mm-hmm. it, it, it is it is sort of a gamble but mm-hmm. the bang you get for your buck when you say that things really exist is everything suddenly yeah. now you have things that you can <laughs> you can yeah. you can do things with right yes <laughs> right yeah. and so it it's again you you don't get to have i, I don't think you, all you get is that want to be able to do something with with everything or or to be able to have objects that you can that you can play with you is to ha- like in order to to do anything, you need to confine it to a system. And so you, you, get, a, a, you get a lot of, again, you get, you get a lot of bang for your buck for doing that. But it's, it's still, within that, you still have to have that open system thing where you realize, okay, I'm still bargaining on a particular system that I've, that I've reduced the world to. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not real, but it's, it has to, it's real enough that I, I can, it's, it's working to predict things. So it's, it works, it's real enough for now, and maybe I can get more real.
1: Yeah, I think it's like you if you if you do enough philosophy, at some point you realize that it's it comes down to different intuitions about different things. Like the best you can do is you try to make like all of the arguments clear. You try to see, okay, well, this guy goes that way and this guy goes that way, and they do so because they have different intuitions about this problem. And then like really philosophy is a is a complex map with like different paths that depend on different intuitions, and then like you you basically pick what you think works best, and like once you've picked what you think works best, then you can explore in that. And at some point, you get a better idea of the map, and then you can reassess. Okay, where do, do I want to change my intuitions in some places? But like, if you don't yeah, commit yeah. to like some intuitions somewhere, you'll just never explore, and
0: you'll never right. get anywhere. Well, that's so, the nihilism yeah. thing. Is like it's, it's you've become overcome. Are overwhelmed by the idea that you're that you're going to be wrong no matter what thing you commit to, and so you're just like, well, that means I'm just wrong, so I'm not going to bother committing to anything. Well, no, if you if you even if you commit to a wrong thing, you might be less wrong than than being totally wrong yeah. and just being satisfied with being totally wrong. As long as there's yeah. a gradient there, then there again, then you get then you get the concept of hope again.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'll see some small magic. You'll see like you, you'll <laughs> notice that you we're wrong at some point, and then the world will re-enchant at some point, and, and it can start super small, like just. From going to nihilism to admitting that consciousness exists, right. like that's a huge jump. Like yeah. you, 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 you have added just a bunch of layers to your ontology.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, let, let me see if maybe we should wrap things up. But let, let me just see if there's a, if there's any more avenues we should try to go down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, if you see something, we can talk about within, let's say, five ten minutes. It would be great. Okay. (laughs) I feel like it's been useful. I'm much more confident about being useful on that last answer than I was for the first like hour (laughs) and a half of our conversation.
0: Great. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I was going to say something about. Well, you know, I'll I'll save that for book club. Let's let's talk about just church, I guess, because I think this might might be a good way to end. Because Mm -hmm. I I feel like you might have a good sort of answer to this question, but. I guess thinking about going to church makes me almost sick. Like I just don't want to do it. <laughs> That's so common. <laughs> I, I, I'm i not sure if it's just bad experiences or it's... I, I, I feel like I'm just going to be so deeply misunderstood and, and so I'm going to have to sit through so much sort of nonsense or so much like I, I i one of the most important things about church seems to me to be relationship and i don't it feels like i, I any church that i have access to i don't have access to a, a community or relationships where i i really feel like you know i could have that cool consciousness melding thing where i could become part of a, a body and and maybe that's just more a, a me being too too specific about the sort of body i want to go and be part of <laughs> but I don't. I, I did, so you obviously said you, you related to that sensation. How how did you get past that? How did you decide to to go and pick a church? Did you did you change mm-hmm. churches? Did you look for different communities? Did, you, think, did you shop around?
1: <laughs> I didn't shop around that much. I think what one thing that helped honestly is I think that I had been doing jujitsu for a while before, so I saw it similarly. I saw it that okay, I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna get my ass kicked kicked i'm not gonna understand what goes on uh i'm gonna be confused i'm not gonna be like i'm gonna i'm not gonna like this but i'm confident that the process will bear fruit so that was my attitude my attitude to start with and i also saw it as incremental like if you start training in anything you don't want to sort of go balls out right from the start you just you'll burn out or you'll get injured or something so initially like i just I was raised Catholic, so I could just sort of go back to church and participate in the sacraments. So I, I just went back to a church nearby, didn't talk to anyone, just sort of tried to take in the liturgy for a while. And then at some point I heard about the church, uh, that was probably better for young people. It was a bit further away, but I thought it was worth going. So I, I just, I just went and then still, I didn't talk to anyone really for a few months. And, uh, at some point, when I felt I had more time, decided to get involved in something that looked interesting, uh, like it's something to do with with younger people who were probably interested in philosophy and stuff. So I thought this would probably be a good idea to start get involved in that, and progressively it worked. But I think what what happens, and I'm not sure, I don't know enough about your city, for instance, but like. I'm sure there's a way to do it progressively. Like you, if you can find a church that has interesting enough liturgy, that you can just go there and then try to live the symbolism. It can even just be an intellectual puzzle at first. Like I, I, I remember I went there. I would sort of even I didn't often like the sermons that <laughs> were given initially. So I just like. Uh, I would just read the the readings for the day, and then I would just sort of just meditate on them and think on them, and like try to find the symbolism in there. I would try to see the symbolism in like the architecture, in the liturgy that we're doing, in the chants, and so on. I would just—it would be a quite intellectual exercise at first,
0: but mm-hmm.
1: like you just work your way up. Like you're you're a white belt, you don't know anything, so you just keep keep working at it, and then like it makes more sense and it gets better. And then at some point, you're able to talk with people, and you can somewhat understand them. And it, it's mm-hmm. like at first, like people are tracking Christianese, and you don't understand really what they're saying, and yeah. like they don't understand you that well, so you have to make an effort. But like at some point, you start to build bridges with something with, with some people. You'll notice people who like you can talk to more easily than others, and like it gets better with time. So I just really saw it as I'm gonna go do jujitsu, and it's gonna take years before I get any good at it. But that's okay because progress is what matters. Right,
0: and that is. Yeah. I, I, I guess I I already have the prerequisites necessary because I a part of me really does think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But I think your story, that, that sounds interesting to me as far as just deciding where to start that journey because I think I've become very disenchanted, at least with my own tradition. Mm-hmm. What tradition is it, by the way? Well, I mean, I, I grew, grew up in, in mostly Pentecostal and evangelical mm-hmm. circles. And so mm-hmm. it, it's it's almost like I feel like it was t- it's too fundamentalist of mm-hmm. a of a version of christianity that i i feel like i've almost sucked it dry of what it has mm-hmm. to offer me and i i i want to be re-enchanted with christianity i guess
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, well i mean uh, of course i mean it, the the typical move for people in this corner of the internet is to become orthodox <laughs> or yeah at least Roman Catholic. So I mean, if you if, if those options are available to you, you can just go and like talk to people. And especially, you'll 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 probably find some like well-informed priests or like some people there. Uh, I don't know how big the city you live in is. You told me
0: earlier, but I don't remember. Yeah. Like I, the, I, I don't I, know the I size. live in a village actually, so it's it's very yeah. small. But there, there actually are two uh two. I'm not sure actually what uh, what um, denomination they are, but they're. At least they, they don't look like um, like evangelical churches. They, they, they look pretty. So yeah. it looks like there's something <laughs> there that we were missing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in, in those cases,
1: you have something clear to start with. And yeah, it's different enough to be, re- it's, it's rich enough to be re-enchanted. But yeah, I, it's hard for me to say about people who are in a tradition that don't like at all or <laughs> that they, they, they feel like they've sucked dry because i don't want to just, just sort of speak against other traditions well. i know mm-hmm. people who let's say were already involved at their church and they just kept being involved but now mm-hmm. they add all of this symbolic understanding that they could bring into their church right. and they this has had good fruits on their churches but i, feel I don't know about people completely
0: going back to, yeah, Go to some extent I, I feel that sort of that calling that yeah. that responsibility to i mean especially just even to my family because they're they're very active in this community and it's like i mm-hmm. i don't want to just go and be part of something different because i'm i am already part of something and it's there's there's an identity there there's there's a you know there's an angel that's that's <laughs> that's yeah. coming to existence that i'm that i'm part of uh, which yeah. i mean even that terminology is something that's not at all uh, <laughs> not, not yeah. at all conceivable, or at least that's not the way evangelicals talk, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I think that's what's going to be
1: tough for you if you go there. And I mean, I, I had something analogous on my end as well, because initially I wasn't familiar with the classical tradition. I wasn't familiar with Neoplatonism and Saint Thomas Aquinas and like all of this tradition. I was still very much Episcopist initially, so I was not talking the same language, sort of out of the box as people were there. So. Like I had to learn to speak the language and similarly they would learn to speak mine. And it wasn't obvious, but like there are still and especially I don't want to just sort of go in there and like start preaching to people. Like you have to like do it the way this way that I've learned and so on. But like I there there's still always ways there, there are still always ways to find like common ground. Uh, they like at the very least if you use biblical categories you're gonna understand uh like you you probably won't be able to just sort of copy paste what you see on the symbolic world but but still like there there are ways to get around it like you, you need to sort of learn their categories and then try to speak with them and at some people yeah. at some point people like trust you too so they like they're more likely yeah. to listen to what you're doing and so on and I think I think it's definitely possible, but it's not like a quick fix thing. It's, it's more like yeah. a three, well, four years kind and, of thing.
0: And it might be even. I mean, that that process of what you're talking about is that you need to sort of translate. Um, I was thinking about this yeah. before. Like, I I've only ever spoken one language at a time. But I was listening to the, this conversation between Lex Fridman and Michael Malice, and he was he he mentioned that like there's there's something different that happens when you know when you're bilingual because you 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 be you become able to transcend the language and think about the concepts because languages always limit concepts in different ways right and so you have you have access at least to that at least to that realization that the language is always uh, grasping at a concept uh, mm-hmm. but in order to again in order to speak you need to constrain yourself to a particular language a particular words and yep. those words are always imperfect and i guess in order to be a christian you need to con- constrain yourself to a particular tradition a, tradi- uh, a particular denomination even though that denomination is not imperfect and and try mm-hmm. to Try to take those patterns and and incarnate them in in a in a in a form that you know makes sense and is meaningful to that community
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean you can always sort of reassess at some point initially I thought that would I would become orthodox at some point, but I ended up founding a home in my own tradition, but Correct. like you can commit to something for a while and then like reassess but you may find that it, you're already at home it's yeah, it's hard to predict this thing, these things
0: like I can at least say. Thanks, because that gives me that gives me some hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. This was fun. I'm I'm. I think this was very useful for me, especially to try and explain things in a way that is different from what I typically do. Uh, Yeah, it's funny because yeah, you uh, Jonathan and I come from a different background. He's more artistic, phenomenology, and so on. I'm more art sciences and uh, classical Thomism, let's say. So like we come from different backgrounds and some. Makes it interesting for me to try and convey my ideas differently.
0: Great. Well, I'm 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 glad you found this beautiful too, because I was afraid I was I was just leeching on you a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was. I mean, I was afraid that I was just like not useful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you, man. I hope we can do this again.
1: Yeah, yeah, this was fun. Uh, yeah, let's keep in touch. I'll be curious to know what happens with your experiences <laughs>
0: back in churches. Hopefully, definitely. All right, man. Thanks again. All right, bye, Garrett. Bye. Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.